This program is brought to you by the partners of A Root Awakening International. Help others find truth. Support A Root Awakening International today. After creating a few little things like an international banking system and an alternative economy, the Messianic believers in Spain also created their own navy to battle the Spanish Inquisition. Dr. Miles Jones explains how these good guy pirates defeated evil on the high seas because it's the end of the sixth day. The sun is set and this is Shabbat Not Live. Shabbat Shalom, Torah fans. Welcome to Shabbat Not Live with Michael Rood. Why am I saying it that way? Because Michael Rood's in the studio with us today and he always told me it's Shabbat Not Live. You guys are recording this. It's not live anymore. Good point, all right. <laughs> well, is there anything in world history the Messianic Church did not do? As we've discovered over the last few episodes of Pirates and Heretics with Dr. Miles Jones, the Messianics were pirates, they started the Renaissance, St. Patrick was a Messianic for goodness sake, and tonight we are going to find out how they created an international banking system, no kidding. But first, let's take a look at the astronomically and agriculturally corrected biblical Hebrew calendar, there you have it right there. We are on the third Shabbat of the 13th month called Adar Bet. And that means our Passover event is next month. Let's talk about that with my co-host, the Chief Operating Officer of A Rude Awakening International, Ted Clayton. Well, thank you, Scott. But for some reason, with that title, I feel like we should ought to be going, are you, mateys? Oh, are <laughs> Pirates and heretics. I know if Michael were sitting here instead of over there, he probably would do that. You know what a, a, a Passover in pirate land is? It's Passover. Oh, oh gosh, so please let's move on. We gotta move on from this. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, to get us out of this terrible mess we've gotten ourselves into, know that Passover is going to be in the month of April. It's gonna be April 15th and 16th because an ADAR bet has taken place and we're gonna have great guests once again with you. We're gonna have uh, Yehuda and Hadas Glick uh, is gonna be here with Keith Johnson and Scott, and we're gonna have uh, Nehemiah and Linnell Gordon. They're gonna be with us. Keith and Nehemiah is gonna do a great segment, and also uh, we're gonna have our panel discussion once again, backed by popular demand. It's gonna be Scott Laird, myself, Keith, and Nehemiah, and we're gonna talk about Passover, how it was then, how it should be celebrated now. And don't forget, at seven o'clock, we have that world-famous Seder with Michael Rood gonna be right there with us. Put your television at the end of your table and be there and celebrate Michael's uh, Seder right there on the table with you guys. So he's right there in your home. Ladies and gentlemen, don't miss a single moment of the Passover 2022 Passover 
over then and now. And Scott, tell us once again how we register to watch Passover. We go to PassoverCharlotte.com, real easy. It's on the bottom of your screen there. We need to do that because we're gonna send you several things, including the, uh, the code to watch it and the, the URL to go to. So you need to have that. You need to have a couple other things as well. And we'll give you any updates as well. So sign up for free at PassoverCharlotte.com. And you know, Ted, this was supposed to be the day that we were going to have uh, Passover if it was not an Adar bet. If That's the, right. Aviv, if the barley was Aviv on March, uh, what was it, March 3rd. Yeah. But it indeed was not. Now, tell us about that once again, Scott, because I know some people still have uh, uh, trouble understanding what an ADAR bet is mm -hmm. and how they discover that there should be an ADAR bet. So tell us about that again. Well, first of all, okay, so you've got 12 months in the calendar, right. which seems kind of right. normal compared to our calendar, right? So you have the 12th month, but at the end of the 12th month, of course, the Hebrew months are uh, started when you see the first sliver of the new moon. Right. And so if at that point, you need two things to happen in order for you know, the first month to come around, the month of the Aviv. Yes. That's why it's the Aviv barley. Yes. And so you need two things. You need the moon to be seen, right. of course. And right. secondly, for the barley to be Aviv. Now, now what, Aviv, what does that mean? So that means, it doesn't mean ripe. It means kind of half ripe. Okay. They are anticipating doing a... Uh, uh, a, an offering of bread uh -huh. at the Feast of First Fruits, okay. which follows Passover. So Passover is roughly two weeks into the month of the Aviv. Yes. So they are looking at the barley right before that time to figure out if it is going to be ripe enough to harvest in I order see. to do this bread offering at, okay. the, at the First Fruits, because you, that's the first fruits of the harvest go to Yehovah. And Indeed. so that has to happen. And so if you can't have that, well, you can't have Passover before that, so right. what do you do? Right. You have to add some more time to allow that barley to mature. Gotcha. So that's where the 13th month comes in. Okay. And this is a dar bet. Now, it, that's in their calendar, correct? correct. They can yeah. see it in their calendar. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it's the 13th month, uh, right there, 13th month. And so uh, that's what we're doing right now. Uh -huh. And so the 13th month is a dar bet because bet means two. Okay. Uh, it's second letter of the Hebrew alphabet, so Adar Bet. It's basically Adar Part Two. Okay, <laughs> That's good. what it is. Excellent. Yep. So, so now you know, ladies and gentlemen, you want to watch it in April. Mm -hmm. Now, those dates again in April are? 15 and 16. 15 and 16, so that's great. Once again, we have great panels, great guests, ladies and gentlemen, and don't forget, you'll get to see Michael's world-famous Seder at seven o'clock that night. You're not gonna wanna miss a single moment of Passover then and now. And Scott, also, speaking of Passover then and now, we have a great love gift that's happening this month as well mm -hmm. with our good friend, Bill Cloud. Tell us about that. Yeah, you don't wanna miss this with all the excitement of Passover coming up. So first sign up for Passover and then do this. Get the love gift with Bill Cloud. So this love gift uh, helps finance things at the ministry and yes. it's a gift from Michael to you to say thank you for supporting the ministry. You're not yes. buying the teaching, we're right. giving it to you as a gift. And this right. month, uh, Bill Cloud actually came in and said, hey, I wanna help you guys do this because I know as Michael is almost ready but not quite ready to come on the stage yet, so let me pinch hit for him. So that's what he did. And he came up here and he did a uh, teaching called Whom Will You Serve? And it's all about man's laws versus God's laws and when they conflict, what are you gonna do? And boy, I tell you right now, ladies and gentlemen, that is a great teaching for a time such as this because mm -hmm. with all the, the happenings out there in the world right now, all the, the mass confusion that's taking place, you need to know, do you follow man's laws 
or do you follow the Almighty's laws? And this is going to give you a great pathway to following the Almighty's exactly, laws. Exactly, indeed. And, and if you think that this is not gonna come to your doorstep, if we know anything about world events, yes, sir. and if you know anything about Revelation, That's right. you know these are gonna come together sooner or later, so you might as well decide in your mind now what yes. you are going to do. Get that teaching from Bill Cloud, watch it, re-watch it. Just get it solidified in your head. Yes. What will you do when the brimstone hits the fan, as Michael calls it? Now, there's some other things they get also. If they uh, give to the $100 level, mm -hmm. they get this beautiful kiddish cup, this mm -hmm. silver kiddish cup with Jerusalem on it. And if that wasn't enough, ladies and gentlemen, if you give at the $300 amount, you get this wonderful bookend mm -hmm. of, uh, what well, describe the it's, bookend It's the for Western us. Wall. Oh, uh, that's yes, right. So far right. blowing at the Western Wall, it's a beautiful thing. It's one of those bookends that you only need one of, and you put the, the books against uh, the end of your shelf on the yes. other. So. Well, so don't forget this. Get these love gifts, ladies and gentlemen. It's a great way to share your faith. All right. Thank you very much, Ted. All right. So after creating an international banking system, an alternative economy, the Messianic believers in Spain also created uh, just a little thing called their own navy to battle the Spanish Inquisition. Pirates and Heretics, episode four with Dr. Miles Jones is coming up. The Kiddush with Michael, however, is next. When measured against the word of Yehovah, some of man's laws are lawless, and there will soon come a point when you must decide whom you will serve. Using examples from the Torah, the New Testament, and from yesterday's headlines, Bill Cloud draws a striking parallel between the decisions made by heroes of the Bible and the decisions facing us in our modern world in this month's love gift, Whom Will You Serve? This is what I see taking shape, Scott. It is gonna to get to the point that we're gonna to have to make up our mind who we are more willing to offend, man or the Almighty. Who Will You Serve? Featuring special guest Bill Cloud is not for sale and it's not on YouTube. The only way to watch it is to receive it as a thank you gift from Michael Rood. Donate a $50 love gift and we'll send you Who Will You Serve on DVD or Blu-ray. Or for a donation of $100, We'll send you Whom Will You Serve? Plus a silver-plated Kiddush cup and coaster with scenes of old Jerusalem. Or with a donation of $300, we'll send you Whom Will You Serve? The silver-plated Kiddush cup and coaster. Plus a decorative bookend depicting a scene of worship at the Western Wall. These gifts are a limited time offer from Michael Rood to thank you for your support. Make your donation today and receive the $50 gift the $100 gift, or the $300 gift. These special gift collections featuring Bill Cloud are available only in March and supplies are limited. Call now to receive your gifts, 888-766-3610. That's 888-766-3610. Or get your gifts online at monthlylovegift.com. When Yeshua fed the 5,000 with leavened barley loaves in the Galilee, the Pharisees came down on him because they accused him that he and his disciples did not wash their hands before they ate bread. They did not wash their hands with a negel vesser and say this prayer 
Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctified us by your commandments, commanding us concerning the washing of hands. Why didn't Yeshua do that? Why didn't his disciples follow that? Because it is takanot. It is a law which they invented, and Moses said no one is ever allowed to add to or subtract from. But the night of the Last Supper, Yeshua took bread and he put in place a rehearsal that was really put in place by the Kohen Gadol, the high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Melchizedek himself brought forth bread and wine to Abraham, and Yeshua interpreted that very thing. Barukata Yehovah Elohinu Melech HaOlam Hamotzi Lechem Miharetz. This is what Yeshua put in place, that before we eat bread, that we say this prayer. And as often as we do this, we do it in remembrance of him because his broken body was broken for us and by his stripes we were healed. So as often as we do this, as often we do it in remembrance of him. And Yeshua took the cup and he said, Barukata Yehovah Elohino Malachalam, Barei Pri Hagafen, the creator of the fruit of the vine, Yehovah created the fruit of the vine. He said, this represents the renewed covenant in my blood. As often as you do this, do this, remember me, and remember, I will be drinking this with you at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Shabbat Shalom. So our floor director here at Shabbat Night Live just told me a joke. He said, what's a pirate's favorite letter? I said, of course, R being the obvious answer. He said, no, 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 no. It's C, the C. And I'm like, oh, that's a great, 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 great joke. Anyway, <laughs> we're talking all about pirates. Why are we talking about pirates? Because pirates, messianics, the, the history of the world, there's a huge part played there by messianic folks who carried the Hebrew gospels down through the ages. And here to tell us more about it is Dr. Miles Jones. An unknown history. Yes. Because the messianic church is not supposed to exist. Right. After it was declared heretic in the fourth century, that uh, according to... The church history, mm-hmm. uh, which is controlled by the apostate church, right? the Roman church, uh, they're declared heretic. According to church history, they disappeared in the in the fifth century, uh. right? Of course, like good boys and girls that are declared heretic, <laughs> they just go away, all right? Well, that did not happen. They went in underground, but they had profound effect on world history. I mean, any of you that are watching this is seeing, these are major, major accomplishments, Mm -hmm. right, that we're talking about here. And you're jumping the gun again, jumping to the pirates. (laughs) We're going to get to that. We're going to second half today. We'll we'll get there. We're going to get to that. But first, we're going to talk about the Reformation. Yes. And if you haven't kept up, you can go on my website, writingofgod.com, free download, and, and we'll give you a PDF that summarizes all these 16 major accomplishments of the Messianic Church through the 
20 centuries from the, well, through 16 centuries from the time of Constantine. Mm -hmm. Well, the whole business, for the 2,000 years since they began. And um, <clears throat> it's, yeah, that, and that's completely free. But please, buy the book, support the ministry. The Messianic Church Arising, Volume 2 of Sons of Zion versus Sons of Greek. It's in publication now. Recently so published it. And get it from the website. You can yes. get it from Amazon, but we know that Amazon takes a significant cut. We'd right. rather have folks to, uh, get it from you because it sports your ministry a lot right. better. We make three times as much. Yeah, and it's a go. huge amount. Yeah. And it doesn't cost you anymore. And you get on our research updates newsletter for free. Oh, perfect. So we'll send you information when new information comes out or new things are available. And that free download is all 16 things we are talking about yes. in this series. And today we start with, with number pictures. 13. Yeah, with pictures. <laughs> so number 13. Yes. We talked about the Renaissance, which is a major thing. I mean, you could mm -hmm. spit, you could write a book or volumes on each one of these things, like the Renaissance. What a huge thing. But the Reformation came out of the Renaissance, all right? And and the Reformation, the, the reason, there are two reasons the Reformation worked. There had been other reformers before Martin Luther. We talked about Martin Luther, and one of the most incredible things about it is they recovered the the, the scripture, the Bibles of the received text of the Bible, mm -hmm. you know, from two sources, from the Waldensians who'd preserved it, and from the Greek church in Constantinople, Mehmet II, the Sultan Mehmet, the Ottoman Turks, took it over 1453 and then opened up commerce and libraries mm. to the West. So now all of a sudden you have these, these manuscripts of Lucian's Greek Bible, the received text of the Bible, all of a sudden that they had tried to eliminate mm. in Western Europe because they weren't Roman church. And Roman church had done the uh, Eusebius Greek Bible, 1320, and Jerome's Latin Vulgate in 380, which were not the first Bibles, right? The mm -hmm. first Bible was the Atala in 150, complete compilation of the Bible in Latin, but it came from the Hebrew Gospels and the Tanakh, right? And then, then uh, Lucian's Greek Bible, which came from the Itala, mm. the Tanakh, the Hebrew Gospels, because Lucian was, was a Greek speaker and reader and writer, probably Jewish Christian, because, I mean, who else knows Hebrew? I mean, like Columbus, he knew Hebrew. I mean, come on, dead giveaway, right? Yeah. And all these people are, you know... It's uh, trying to keep it quiet. So these, that's where the Bibles, Reformation Bibles came from. And remember that uh, the, the Reformation Bibles and the printing press were the two things that made the Reformation successful. Printing press was practically brand new in the 1500s. It had, been, it had been since 1450, but it took a while for the technology to spread. But by 1500, Luther... Luther put out more publications than the next 17 leading reformers altogether. Wow. So he made dramatic use of the printing press. A huge, huge factor in his success, right? The other was they recovered the received, the received text of the Bible mm -hmm. from the Waldensians in the Italic Sea, Northern Italy, right? Who had preserved it with their mm -hmm. blood, with their lives they'd preserved it. Right? And from Constantinople, the, the manuscripts of the Lucian's Greek Bible. Right? It, but this, I wanted to read you this uh, quotation because it's so, it, it, it's so crucial and so critical. It's by Hugo Schoenfeld, who wrote The History of Jewish Christianity. It says, behind the Reformation, as behind almost every spiritual movement of note, one finds the personality of a Jewish Christian. 
Huh, well, how about that? I mean, it's, it's true, and, but it's remarkable. But he said they were the thinkers. They were the most educated. Hmm. So every movement in just about every field, you're going to have conversos and Jews involved in it as prime, prime players. Well, in this case, however, the person that Hugo Schoenfeld was specifically referring to was Nicholas of Lyra. All right, and Nicholas of Lyra was he was a, a Jewish convert, and he had been raised in the Hebrew educational tradition, as were most conversos, most, most messianics were, and so he had he was a, a very famous Talmudist, and he was converted to Christianity, and he pretty much wrote a synthesis of the Old Testament and the New Testament to show how they were in complete balance according to what he called the corrected principles. And I mean, this, this is a schism, uh, a schizophrenic schism, if you will, that dramatically affects us even today. How do you balance these two things? You know, this, this accusation of being a Judaizer, Jewish things, that's bad. That would include the entire Old Testament, right? So you've got the split personality. One that wants to deny the Old Testament and the Torah and toss it out the window, which they did for most of the history. Uh, Okay, and then (coughs) you've got this renewed covenant coming along that's all about Yeshua, but Yeshua was a Hebrew rabbi too. So you're, you're trying to embrace him and reject him at the same time. This is called schizophrenia, two distinct personalities that are sometimes diametrically opposed. And most people are not even aware of it. You got this this thing going off. Well, Nicholas of Lyra was the thinker that said these things are not in opposition at all. Hmm. All right? You just got to look at them in the right way. And that would be the messianic way, right? But this so influenced the thinking of Martin Luther that it was said about him. It was the... Uh, the the Bishop of Namburg who who penned this, but it's a very famous couplet. And it says, if Lyra had not written, Luther would not have come forth. That was how, that was wow. how uh, dramatic his influence upon Martin Luther's thinking. He was a couple of centuries before him, but it, you know, it was, his thinking was so profound. And it's funny, everyone it, knows it of Martin. It set the theological basis for the Reformation. Everybody knows Martin Luther, but nobody, I never heard of Nicholas of Lyra. Yeah. He's been, like you said, with everything else of this nature, buried. Been, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's just been pretty much effaced. I, I was amazed when I started digging into it hmm. at all the documentation that I found on these people. It, it, it frankly blew me away, wow. to be honest with you. But the Waldensians... They had they had preserved these preserved these gospels with their blood, the Reformation Bibles. In fact, it was it was uh, they came out one by one. And remember, these Bibles. One of the significant things about them: not only were they recovered from the received text, mm-hmm. from the Waldensians and Lucian's Greek text, Erasmus translated this into into a Greek it was a Greek uh, but it was from the received text and uh, the you know the Reformation Bibles were based on this the 1611 King James version for example was a Reformation Bible but they began coming out there was a group of these reformers in Geneva and they were interacting with the Waldensians there you know um, 
John Calvin came there. John Knox was there. Zwigli was there. So they, they all, Martin Luther went there too. And they were basing their scriptures on their, well, they didn't say in connection. Olivier Vuitton wrote the old French Bible, which was the earliest in the French language. He was a Waldensian pastor. Oh. So these people were all definitely, hmm. it was all a Waldensian Christian conclave going on here, you know, the Messianic, the Neo-Messianic church that had preserved these scriptures and it was all happening in Geneva. Hmm. All right, so uh, <clears throat> the Reformation Bibles, they came out, Diodatus Italian Bible, the Geneva Bible. You know, okay, there's which, a familiar name. That was the foremost Bible of the colonies, the American colonies, the Geneva Bible. It was a Reformation Bible. Hmm. Uh, so you had Luther's Bible. Luther's, Luther's uh, Bible was very definitely from the received text of the Bible, from his encounter with the Waldensians. So all of these Bibles, they were based on the, on the received text of the Bible, gotten from the, uh, and the Reformers were just amazed. They were just amazed. They didn't know. And then all, all of them came to Geneva and started doing this work in the Reformation. So we're going to look at these. Erasmus was the first one to start uh, explaining that there are two streams of Bibles. One that came from the Itala and Lucian's Greek Bible, which were earlier, earlier than the Catholic Bibles, Eusebius' Greek Bible and Jerome's Vulgate, which happened in the 4th century. Itala was the 2nd century. And the uh, Lucian's Greek Bible, who was most likely Jewish Christian himself because he knew Hebrew, was in the late 3rd century, maybe 280, 290. Right, so why did you need another? And it was received, it's called the received text, but because it was received by all the congregations throughout the world as the authentic text of the Bible. It was an inspired text and it was received every church. It took a thousand years for the uh, Catholic Bibles, the Vulgate, for example, to really overcome that lead. And generally that was done by military force of arms. But you have the, um, the Itala, and then Jerome's Latin Vulgate came on in 380, but the Itala was in 150, way earlier. Lucian Greek text, 30, 40 years before. Eusebius Greek text. The Wycliffe English Bible. Now, this was in 1382. This was a direct translation from Jerome's Vulgate, but still it was in the vernacular language. So it counts as Reformation Bible, although it did come from the Catholic column just in English. So he was called, uh, he was a reformer and advocated many of these messianic principles and theologies and things yeah. we're talking about and ideas. You know, so he was very definitely a reformer himself, but the Bible was a, was a direct translation from the Vulgate. But then you got, you had the, the uh, Erasmus Greek New Testament, long before the Codex Sinaiticus came out, the Tyndale English, which was based on the received text. All of these came before, so you have two streams. One that came from the received text in the Hebrew Gospels and the Tanakh, and the other that were the Roman Catholic versions. And the reason that there are different Bibles is because they change things to support their doctrine. It's that simple. In fact, when they reinstated these Bibles from the Codex Sinaiticus, which was a Catholic Bible, Right, Eusebius Greek text. When the the new spirit of ecumenicalism came in, you know, after a couple of centuries of very serious, you know, religious war, like the Thirty Years' War, that wiped out half the population of Central Europe, literally, 
uh, we're, now we're all going to be big buddies and we're going to get along together and we're going to have, they form committees and we're going to come up with a version of the Bible that we can all agree on. And they used the Codex Sinaiticus. So they changed all these Reformation Bibles back into the Roman column with these mm. Bible committees, made more than 3,000 changes to the Bible. So they go back wow. into the Catholic column, the, the ones we're using today, you know, the modern, and they all followed along. They all followed suit. So keep mm. that in mind. We have to get back to the received text of the Bible that the reformers gave us with their blood, right? So those are the two streams. And we'll, we'll, there'll be more on this. <clears throat> the Messianics, were the first discoverers, explorers, and settlers of the New World. We already talked about Gaspar the pilot, but he was by far the only, uh, usually it was a messianic pilot, because the Jews really, they had invented and, and improved on the astrolabe. It's originally from Arabia, uh, from North Africa. And so they were the ones who knew how to use it. It was fairly complex. So they were educated once. So the pilots were usually in the navigators were usually conversals, right? Hmm. Uh, so they were right up front in the discovery of the New World, Columbus, you know, and the discovery of South America by a ship that had been blown off course, mm-hmm. right? That was Pedro Cabral. Actually, I think I misnamed that earlier, but he was trying to get to Calcutta, right? Right, and got blown off course, and then, oh, But then he later didn't place. make it to Calcutta. It's <laughs> yeah. where he picked up on Mon Cade, the, the, the converso, mm-hmm. right? And he served as his pilot coming back, and they had that, that uh, um, <clears throat> what we called, they encountered the fleet of Amerigo Vespucci and told him everything that, about the, the route to the east and the route to the west, because they'd just been blown off course to Brazil. Mm. Okay, so Moncade, the pilot, Gaspar, he changed his name when he baptized, when he was rebaptized. So he was the guy who opened up the trade route to the east and the trade route to the west. This one, this one converso pilot. Mm. So this, we already discussed that, but there were there were others on on. We know there were people on Columbus ships, and he he left a colony of thirty nine people there, right? Uh, many of which were conversos. Right? And they split into two factions because <coughs> the old Spanish mm-hmm. started taking men's wives and taking their gold, and they're no longer bartering. They're just taking it, and they'd kill them. You know, and so, did you tell me this was in Haiti, or what is now known as Haiti? Yeah. Okay. <coughs> it was in the Dominican Republic. It's called uh, Hispaniola mm. Island. And so... Uh, Obviously, this is calling outrage among the Indians who fought back. You know, since they were divided into two groups, it's pretty easy. They had self-isolated because the conversos didn't want to have anything to do with these outrages. And this, I, I don't know all of this for sure, but I know they were divided into those two groups. And it was the Spanish seamen were committing these outrages because the conversos were of a different stripe. You know, they, they had been mistreated and they were coming to escape that. They were not trying to bring that to the new world. Okay, so they, they wiped out this entire colony and they were easy to do to isolate and ambush because they were already fighting each other, right? <clears throat> but they were settlers in the, in the very first colony and all the others were, were primarily settled by uh, conversos. I mean, as many as 15% of the settlers in the, every new world colony were conversos, messianics. Really? 
Yeah. It's a large percentage, really. It's huge. But in the islands, it was more. Like on the island of Jamaica, like 50% of the population were Messianics. Wow. Yeah, that's why it became the pirate capital of the world. Because mm. the, 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 the merchants, the merchants of Jamaica, they financed, they financed the, the pirate ships. Mm. Yeah, somebody has to buy them a ship, right? And they went out and they, they, they captured Spanish, Spanish galleons. They went up against these men of war. Hmm. You know, but they're, you know, the others, uh, but they, it was guarded. So it had, they had to take down Spanish warships. Huh. But the booty was incredible. You know, so we're not there yet, are we? No. Well, we'll get there in a second. Hold that thought. We're going to talk more about this because I keep bringing it up. Obviously, I like this subject. But well, we're there now. <laughs> the pirates. Okay, so we're going to we're take a break first. We're going to take a break. Yeah, we're going to take a break. And we're going to uh, remember, folks, if you want to see all the, uh, well, first of all, just the bullet points of this, it's available as a free PDF on the website at the bottom of your screen. You can also get Dr. Miles' brand new book uh, on the subject. And uh, Dr. Miles, what's the subject or the uh, well, title of it again? It's called Messianic Church Arising. And it is... Uh, Volume two mm-hmm. of Sons of Zion versus Sons of Greece. Okay, very so good. So if you don't have both of them, you should get them both. Absolutely, A yeah. lot of people, thousands of people have read the first one and are, have been eagerly awaiting this volume. Well, this is important information you don't normally get in your history book, and we have Dr. Miles to thank for that. You don't get it. And you don't get it, that's right. <laughs> now you can get it, and so it's all thanks to Dr. Miles. Thank you for bringing him here. Uh, I'm thanking you. You brought him here with your donations. I mean, that's the only way this show happens. We're going to ask that you would continue to do that so that uh, this can be brought to other folks. We'll give you a couple of minutes. We'll be right back. Thank you for supporting Shabbat Night Live. We are into the final segment of our four-episode series with Dr. Miles Jones, but I have a feeling we're not going to reach the end of the subject by the end of this 20 minutes we have here. So we're going to do more. We'll do, I don't know, maybe a bonus on the app. We'll do a love gift or something. So there's more to come. Don't worry. You don't. You, this isn't the end of, of it's uh, just seeing the Dr. Miles. tip of the iceberg, to be honest. Yeah, really. And a lot of these subjects, we just open the door to them. Yes. They've never really been investigated before. And we're finally... To your favorite subject. Oh, pirates. <laughs> Let's talk about pirates. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, we, we talked about how Jamaica had been, you know, usually populated by converts. So it's like 50% yes. of the population. England invaded. And this was in the late 1600s. And they uh, took over Jamaica. And they were trying to create an entree into the New World riches. Okay. And so they... they, uh, they uh, Colonized several other places, islands, Bahamas, and other places, and um, British Guiana, for one. And so what they're trying to do was to do an entree, and they wanted to take some of the Spanish treasure away from them. So they invaded Jamaica, and then they invited the pirates of the region to make it their home, which they did. Mm. All right. So this is why the pirates of Tortuga and other places okay. they flocked to them, as did the conversos, right? And it was the conversal merchants, the messianic merchants of Jamaica, who financed these privateer vessels because they were given letters of mark. Mm-hmm. And remember, these later were used by the United States government. It's enshrined in our Constitution, letters of mark, Article One, Section Eight, right? <clears throat> but they they. They licensed these privateers because, after all, you know they were like they shared the booty with them, so they're making money off them. It didn't cost them anything, right? So they had an instant navy to to battle the the, the Spanish. But also, guess what? The Messianics 
had a surrogate navy mm. to battle this evil Spanish empire for all the things they had done to them, you know, taking their money. Because when they, when they left Spain, the Jews and the Messianics, they were not allowed to take any money or goods they had with them mm. or their property or to sell their property. So uh, they were totally robbed by the Inquisition, which became very rich. And it became very, very corrupt. So they would, they would shoot for the, 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 rich, the rich messianics, you mm. know, to line their, their own pockets. So you have the messianic merchants in Jamaica, and they're financing, and, and other places in the world, because they could get capital, remember? They've created an international banking system. Right. As, as long as they're making money off of it, they can get capital for these ventures, and, and they did. Right. Credit from one place to another. That's where the credit system you, you mentioned was, was invented. Yes. Essentially. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and it was dangerous to carry. If you, if you made a lot of money, it was dangerous to carry it in pirate waters. So, you know, put it on deposit and you can and carry with you a, a draft, a yeah. money order, basically. Put it in the new world and go draft from it in the old world. Yeah. Huh. Or, or vice versa. Yeah. Yeah. You, know? you can. So... Uh, you know, you're you were safe because you didn't you weren't carrying any valuables. Hmm. So I mean, it was it was brilliant. A cashless society, go figure. Yeah, yeah <laughs> the whole banking system was it was really brilliant. And the yeah. messianics, uh, the conversos, the messianics, they they pioneered this. They created huh. it worldwide, Interesting. worldwide trade. And remember, this this just happened. They just discovered there was more than Europe in the world. So this hmm. just happened from China to India to the New World. You know, they had the, the, the conversos were the masters of trade and commerce. Mm. And so, basically, the, the Spanish would come in with the Inquisition and then start taking them down and taking over their businesses. Mm. Right? They came in to put the sea and took them down, take over the, the silver trade, et cetera, and so on, you know. Yeah. So they would really take these, these people out, burn them at the stake. Good way to get rid of them and seize their property because they were heretics, Right. This quickly changed because uh, there was no trust lost between the conversos in the New World and their Spanish overlords. Uh, there was no trust lost, but they were content with the status quo in the colonies. Pretty much left alone. The, the Inquisition followed them right away. But once they had invested the sweat and the money and the effort and the organizations of creating this international commerce, then the Spaniards came in with the Inquisition and wanted to take it away from them. So this changed the thinking of the Converso nation, basically. And they realized they had to take out the Spanish Empire. Mm. And then the Inquisition would go down with them. And the English, they, they, they colluded with the English and said, look, come take Jamaica, you'll be welcomed. And they did. Mm. All right, and they created the pirate capital of the world there, all right? And invited all the other pirates to come down. Now, they had this whole fleet of ships, and they mm-hmm. was commanded by the, by the Englishmen, first Mings, and then Henry Morgan, the famous pirate. And these were tough guys, and they convinced these very independent pirates. I mean, really, they, they elected their own captains and disposed of them when they chose. They're very, very democratic for, for pirates, right? <laughs> right? You know, and uh, so... Henry Morgan said, look, if we, if we all band together mm-hmm. and, you know, taking down ships is great and all, but 
we can take all the settlements on the Spanish main, which are flush with silver and gold, and there would be practically no resistance. Don't have to go up against a man of war with 24 guns. Mm. All right, so they started taking, the, the first time they did this, they came back with, with the equivalent of two million, two million in current currency, two million dollars in, in, in silver and gold. Mm. You know, and these were pirates, folks. They did slaughter, and they did torture, and they did burn, right? The, the, down their villages and their, and their towns, you know. Mm -hmm. They were the hated enemy, the Spanish. They even, they even took, they used the methods of the Inquisition. They even took the apparatus that they had liberated from the Inquisition prisons in the New World. Uh, and they used those same techniques, because uh, before banks, what'd you do? If you had a bunch of silver, you'd hide it somewhere. Mm -hmm. So they would torture these Spanish, you know, until they gave up their hiding places. Okay, so these guys were bad guys. No, not all were like that. Many conversos were like Sinan, the Jewish pirate in the in the uh, um, in the Mediterranean. Very honorable men. Yes, they fought, they killed, but they didn't torture and they released their prisoners. You know, they didn't they didn't make them galley slaves, which was a sentence of death anyway, which is what the Inquisition often did. Hmm. You would they chain you to an oar. And you would work until you died of fatigue, right? Which wasn't very long. If you lasted two years, that was a long time. Mm. But you have all this. So now they're visiting the same destruction and death. The surrogate, the surrogate fleet, the army, is visiting the same destruction and death on the, on the Spanish that they had inflicted on the Messianics. Okay, so you, you're, they, the, the, the result of this was that within 15 years... <clears throat> within 15 years, these guys broke the back of the Spanish Empire. Within 15 years. Wow. The Spanish Empire, I mean, these guys, were, they were riding high. I mean, the, you, you can't imagine the amount of treasure they were importing to, to, uh, to Spain and, and Portugal and uh, then the other worldwide trade that they were doing, mm -hmm. you know, slaves to the New World, uh, silver to China, you know, silks and, and porcelain and Chinese trade goods back to the, they were, t they were just awash in money, Spain was. Mm. Okay, but it, it masked the fact that they expelled all their Jewish and Messianic professionals because they were the doctors, you know, mm. right? They were the professionals in every trade. And this devastated the economy of Spain, which was kept buoyed up by all this, all this new world treasure coming in, right? But once they had neither the treasure nor the commerce, because the, the Messianics may have been 10, 15% of the population, but they controlled 75% of the trade in any given port, hmm. right? So they were a huge presence as far as mercantilism. And really the Spanish nobility looked down on mercantilism. They were lazy. They'd been made lazy, you know, uh, by by all this silver and gold coming in, they didn't have to work, right? Makes sense. So yeah. once they had neither the merchants nor the riches, Spain reverted to a third third world country very rapidly. Really? So <clears throat> what happened is these guys they financed the American Revolution and the South American Re Revolution. Hmm. Salvador went through went through all the uh, the nations of Europe and uh, he was he was financed by the 
by the uh, the conversos of Curacao, you know, because it was really rough and rugged at first. He, you know, he hit some rough patches before he got this liberation movement going. Eventually, he was supported by conversos, and uh, they they financed him. He was able to raise an army in Venezuela, mm. so march through gaining gaining. Other, and you can bet that there were plenty of conversos in his army. <clears throat> and they went through each country liberating each one. They wrote their new constitutions once they were liberated from Spain, which allowed for freedom of religion, which is also granted to them in the New World by the English, who were their allies, mm-hmm. <clears throat> and in England, and by the Dutch, which were also very big in the trade at the time they were a huge sea power, and they just declared their independence from Spain as well. So they had this huge navy. Mm-hmm. In fact, they captured one of the the Spanish uh, treasure fleets. Going, I mean, the whole fleet. I mean, wow. it's the equivalent, and they took the equivalent of two billion dollars in today's currency back to back to Holland. Captured mm-hmm. the whole fleet. I mean, the, these uh, these pirate raids were really, really draining the Spanish Empire, which was now dependent upon the gold and silver from the New World, and it was being taken away from them by who? By Messianics, by Messianic privateers and pirates. Not all of them were Messianics, of course. You know, so you know, and we don't. It's kind of hard to tweak apart the communities and who were the good pirates and who were the bad pirates, <laughs> right? But yeah. part of me says, well, the Spanish got what was coming to them, right? <laughs> yeah, I don't condone it. Yeah. I don't condone it. But a part of me says, well, you know, what goes around comes around, right? You know, they took the very apparatus and methods of the Inquisition, used it to torture the Spanish to give up their gold and silver. And so they just, there was so much money going through Jamaica, you know that the, these these uh, pirate captains they would they would shoe their horses with silver horseshoes. Mm. I mean, it was just incredible. Uh, I mean, just because uh, they could. A buccaneer might spend three thousand silver ducats in a night, and then they'd go out and make more. Wow! Uh, I know it's it's incredible, and it was very degenerate too. But but they were they were it was an incredible era. They are the dreaded buccaneers of the. Of of the you know of the high seas of the of the Caribbean, mm. and but they brought Spain to a standstill. <clears throat> Every one of those countries that was liberated, the Inquisition fires went out in those countries. They stopped the Inquisition in its tracks. In its mm. tracks, the, the incredible torrent of misery that was the Inquisition slowed to a trickle, and then eventually sputtered out. Yes, it took more than three three hundred fifty six years. It lasted, but Towards the end, it was pretty weak. It became pretty weak pretty fast because of, of this. They, you know, they were losing their countries because of the Inquisition, because of the harm they had done to them, and they, they responded in kind. Mm-hmm. You know, this surrogate army that took out the Spanish towns and took all their treasure. Henry Morgan crossed the Isthmus of Panama through all those rugged mountains, those raging rivers, cutting their way through 25 miles of jungle, and attacked Panama, which was the world's gold and silver mart, and it was on the Pacific side, so, hey, it was safe, right? Mm. Well, not Henry Morgan. The haul was just uncountable. I mean, they just took, gutted, mm. gutted the Spanish Empire, and then they lost all their, all their colonies there, and then they, they were done for. They were done for, but the Inquisition was put out. <clears throat> Actually, the headquarters of the Inquisition towards the end of the century, 17th century, um, 
because the Inquisition was blackening the name of the apostate church throughout the world, throughout Europe. That's one reason for the Reformation is the, the horrors of this Inquisition. We, we can't have this. In fact, uh, John Calvin actually burnt Michael Servertus in, in Geneva, who had talked against him and debated with him, grabbed him, seized him, burned him at the stake, all right? So they were doing this, but the Protestant congregations really did not have the stomach for this. I mean, then that why they were doing the Reformation, so this kind of stuff wouldn't go on anymore. Mm-hmm. So Protestants generally did not do that. They did burn plenty of witches. That became their thing, as many as 80,000. So they, they retained this template, of the, the apostate church had created and given them and, and that the Protestant church inherited that it was okay to kill people in the name of God. Hmm. You know, for, for just for doctrinal differences. They didn't share your beliefs. It was okay to kill them. Their lives were forfeit, right? So, you know, that we, we, in, we inherited this wormed over apostasy from the Catholic church. So the new churches are really not exempt from this. They carried on many of these things. I mean, the Reformation was a great and good thing, but it was arrested. It did not go far enough, right? But these, back to the pirate story. Got another pirate story. <laughs> the, this was, and this is, uh, the, these Messianic privateers. Now, at the end of the war with the Spanish, they, the Treaty of Madrid, uh, they disbanded the buccaneers, but they came back. <clears throat> hmm. It came back because the American Revolution was happening and the American colonies, they did not have a Navy. So they called these privateers back. Oh, is that where they came from? Yeah, and okay. like the, the, it was, the core of the Navy was uh, created by t- 12, 12 conversos and they were in Jewish and Messianics and they were, many of them had founded uh, Jewish congregations. Now they had freedom of religion. Mm-hmm. Um, so the Messianics and the Jews uh, the, the, the ship owners, they were still the ship owners and the masters of international commerce, all right? They created, and they had, they had warships, right? You know, because they'd right. pirates, right? <laughs> you know, they had been privateers. So they had these warships, and that formed the core of the American Revolutionary Navy. You never hear about this, do you? No, I, this is dull news to me. Yeah, it, it started with a group of 12 prominent, prominent Hebrews, you know, conversos huh. and, and, wow. and Jews. And they pitched in the American Revolution and formed, formed the core of their Navy, which we probably would not, because the British were such a, a power, you know, on the sea. We probably could not have survived that if we hadn't had this privateer uh, mm. messianic, uh, messianic Navy. Wow. <clears throat> so this happened... Uh, even later in the War of 1812, you have the British invaded again and burned Washington. If, for those of you who don't know the story, they invaded and they burned Washington and they were trying to take over New Orleans. This was the, uh, probably the most crucial battle in the War of 1812. Uh, they're trying to take over New Orleans because by doing so, the mouth of the Mississippi River, they would control the whole Mississippi Basin, which is frankly about a third of the entire continental United States. It goes all the way up to Canada. All right, they would control navigation on the entire Mississippi River mm. and would cut America uh, off from their, their, their Western expansion and basically control trade in a way that was, um, would be disastrous to the American nation. 
So this is really critical. And uh, Andrew Jackson went down there with a handful of federal troops. He didn't have a lot of troops, but they formed this alliance with who? Well, with the frontiersmen, with the Cajuns, with slaves, with Indians and pirates, right? So you had this motley crew. And Jean Lafitte was the, the head of the pirates, which were actually based you know, off of New Orleans and Galveston, places like that. And he was credited as the pirate who saved America. Hmm. Right, because he kept the British Navy at bay so they couldn't just come in to the port of New Orleans and take it over and unload their ships, right? They had to, they had to do it away from the port and hike across the, through the swamps to get there. And by that time, Andrew Jackson and his motley crew had built earthenware, earth, earth bulwarks and they, they soundly defeated the British Army, huge casualties. And they, they won this battle in a decisive way. So uh, Jean Lafitte, who was, was a converso, he said it was his grandmother was his inspiration. She was, she was Jewish. She gave him a Hebrew Bible that he carried with him everywhere. Hmm. All right. And his grandfather had died in the Inquisition. He's a free thinker, he said, but that didn't stop the Inquisition from taking him and torturing him in order to give up names of other people. And he, so he died in the Inquisition prisons. And generally when they, when they count up the victims of the Inquisition, they don't count the many thousands of people who died of starvation and disease and injuries from torture in prison. They're just collateral damage, I guess. But they don't count those in the official count, right? Uh, so, but, and, and they don't count the, the, the thousands who's, who've had their breadwinner taken away from them and their property taken away and uh, that starve in the streets because they've been re- reduced to beggary. So there, it was just a horrible, horrible institution of, of, uh, of the Inquisition. So John Lafitte carried this, and so he, he came, obviously he was a, a dedicated opponent to the Spanish Empire. And there were still Spanish ships around that they were raiding. But in this case, he was fighting the British. The privateers came back out of the woodwork, you know, uh, financed by the, by the Messianics. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, and Jews and, and Jews that had been granted religious freedom now. Washington even talked to them and said, you're here with us. We have a religious freedom here. It's not, you know, you're, you're free to worship any, any way that you want. Remember, they had been kicked out of almost every country in Europe. So they were really fighting for the rights of the century. It began with them being, them being uh, basically illegal everywhere, including the conversos. Right, they've been kicked out of England, of France, of uh, of Germany, and other places. There are pogroms going all over the place. The Inquisition in Spain, which spread to all parts of the New World, right? So they they had no place to go. So they went and they took their stand in the New World and created religious freedom hmm. in the New World, which and also the English and the Dutch gave them rights, and eventually, you know, the other the other countries did too, and they won the right for religious freedom in the New World for both conversos and for Jews and for everybody else. So they created a new world of of not just religious freedom, but of opportunity, you know, and and economic freedom. Uh, They created a new world of of commerce and, and things that have really lifted millions of people throughout the world. The idea, the whole idea of this, the covenantal uh, contract 
that they had in the Puritans, for example, and the Sabbatarians and the other neo-Messianic groups that they had among their communities. This is what the Constitution was based on, this covenantal contract between government and the people. Hmm. And it was a new thing at the time. It was very new, all right? And so, um, and this came to become the model for the world. It's lifted so many people out of poverty and out of oppression. It's not hard to recognize that this became really a golden age for literally billions of people now. These new ideas and these new opportunities and this, this idea that our creator gives us the freedom to pursue our religion as we see fit. Something worth saving, and uh, now we know the history of it. So, Miles, I know we're not done here, but we will put uh, the extra information we have elsewhere. Uh, so for now, we'll say... You'll just have to have me back to do more. Yeah, absolutely. We're gonna, Why we're, not? We're constantly covering new stuff. And we have our first publication, the Hebrew Gospels Publication Project, which mm -hmm. is the Epistle of James. Okay. And we're going to follow that with Revelation and Acts. Excellent. And uh, the Gospel of James, which most people don't even know about. Well, the story is not done here. So we will continue. And thank you again for joining us well, on thank Shabbat you. Night Live. I'm really glad to be here. Alrighty, thank you for having us in your living room, in your kitchen, in your car, wherever you are watching this. And uh, thank you again. And uh, we'll see you next week for another edition of Shabbat Night Live. Until then, Shabbat Shalom. Shalom.